You are listening to the Safety Heroes podcast, the podcast where we delve into the world of safety professionals and explore the critical role they play in ensuring every human goes home safely. Our guests are the unsung heroes and natural leaders of the safety space. If you're in the safety space or have no clue what happens in safety functions, this podcast is for you. Join us as we celebrate these heroes, hear their stories, and discover the human side of safety and make sure it's constantly evolving for the safety of our people. My name is Musa. I'm the founder and CEO of Pixera and your host for these episodes. Because when it comes to safety, every hero deserves a voice. So welcome to the Safety Heroes podcast. Hello, everyone. I would like to welcome Becky Peevler as our guest today. Becky's journey from the military to her current role as Global Chief Health and Safety Assurance at ConocoPhillips is a testament of her adaptability and perseverance. Her sense of duty and discipline from her military days have played a huge part in her approach to health and safety. In fact, her experience has shaped her leadership, emergency and security planning skills, and has been central to her 15 years with the company. Becky, welcome. I'm excited to catch up with you today. Great. Thank you so much. All right, Becky, let's start from the beginning. Can you share your personal journey and what inspired you to pursue a career in safety? As you said, I started my professional career as an officer in the Army. I was a military police officer. And my first job, right out of the chute, I was responsible for the safety and well-being of approximately 30 soldiers because I was their platoon leader. And the military sent me to safety officer training. I think it was like a two-week long course to better understand the details and the specifics. But for me, safety was all about taking care of people. And as I progressed in the military, I was an executive officer, or I had the responsibilities for maintenance of our equipment in the motor pool. Then I learned about how it was important to take care of our equipment and how safety related to the tools that we use to do our job. I was involved in a fatal accident while in the military. It was a vehicle accident, and it was due to the delay in the installation of seatbelts, the shoulder part of the seatbelt harness. So at a very young age, I quickly learned the consequences of not having safety critical equipment installed. I was eventually medically discharged from the Army as a result of those injuries, and I had to refigure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I leveraged my experiences from managing the safety of people, the emergency preparedness, the things that I had learned as the executive officer in the motor pool into a career in the oil and gas business. And I fell right into managing safety with my company. And so that's how I got here and where I am now. And why is safety an important topic, Becky? So in companies like ConocoPhillips or previously when you were in the military, what makes this function important? Why does it exist? Well, it's critical for how we do business. It's foundational. You know, when I was first coming out of the military and trying to figure out who I wanted to work for and where I wanted to be, I got to experience a lot of different companies' cultures as a consultant. And it was really clear early on when you work with a company, whether they believe in safety or not. Again, I think it's foundational to taking care of people, but then you quickly learn how it affects your efficiency in whatever it is you're trying to do. So in our job, powering civilization with oil and gas, our efficiency is directly tied to how safely we do our work. That's so interesting. So efficiency is tied to the safety of the individuals who actually carry out the job. Absolutely. 
if there was a safety incident, how does that impact the efficiency of the operation? Well, definitely incidents impact in lots of different ways. One, they can shut down a job. They can take away something that we hold very vital, a license to operate in a particular area. So those are very specific ways where if you have an incident, you're impacting your company's ability to continue to complete its objectives. It also has emotional impacts for the work crews. I've been a part of safety incidents where people will come back afterwards and say, man, I knew that was going to happen and I should have spoken up. And so it affects the camaraderie, the culture of your workforce. And then also it affects your bottom line. If you're burning down facilities and you're having to rebuild them because you don't have the right safety critical equipment in place, then you're having to spend more money to get back up and producing. And ultimately, it's like you're probably affecting your ability to hire people if people feel like they're not really paid attention to. Um, Absolutely. The relationships that you have, the partnerships for your workforce. Yep. Yeah. Your journey is super interesting. So you got kind of exposed to safety in the military. And then unfortunately, you got to experience a fatality, which sometimes is kind of a huge eye opener that drove you to understand the importance of this function and be able to deliver value within an organization. And then it's always about people and people are running and operating and people obviously are very unpredictable and can do a lot to risk people's safety around them or their own safety. And a lot of people keep talking about how difficult this role is, maintaining safety in a large organization especially when it's a global role, can be very difficult just because of all the variables that have to be dealt with. What do you think of that statement? Why would it be difficult if it is and why is it not difficult? And why do people ultimately get hurt even when we do all the work that we need to do? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think a couple of things here. So first, there's some wonderful safety leaders out there who who have shared their messages and their stories. And one is for me, Todd Conklin where he very pointedly tells you people don't come to work trying to get hurt, right? They come to work because they're trying to provide for their families. And when you think about how human behavior, human performance comes into play, it's so critical to remember that they're not coming in trying to get hurt. So there's got to be something with our system or within our organization that could be impacting their ability to do their job safely. And I think that's one of the most important aspects of a safety leader is to really be able to sit back and thoughtfully see those opportunities where the human performance aspect isn't working with the organization that we've created for the work to be done in. That's probably why it's sometimes difficult or hard to keep people who are just preventing injuries completely. And so there's a lot of work and effort that needs to go into that when we think about how we design our equipment. Do the people who are designing it understand the environment that the workers are going to be in, the conditions for how they operate it? It's really important, I think, as a safety leader to make sure that we're making those connections so that from the design phase all the way through the execution phase, we're having the right conversations and connecting people so that the work can be done safely. So there's an equipment kind of planning, design, execution element, and there's a big leadership element to the role. For sure. Yes. Partnerships and the relationships that you create as a safety leader are the most valuable aspect of what we do. I spend as much time as I can out, like I said, in those conditions with the workers, just asking them, how do you do this? What could make it better? 
And then coming back into the office with the engineers and the folks who are designing and trying to relay those messages or find those opportunities to connect those two pieces of our workforce. That's a super powerful way to put it. Something that I've been seeing a lot is safety practitioners are the best leaders in a way. They naturally have to be leaders for them to succeed in their role. You're ultimately making sure you're listening well to people on the ground. You're spending time with people on the ground. You're allowing to be comfortable and allowing to feel safe to share information for you to know what actions you need to take. You're not someone who can operate from ego or from a place of instructing things. You're just constantly trying to put the right guardrails around people through the work you do and in enabling them as individuals. Absolutely. We would be very naive to think that the way we plan our work is the way that work actually happens. And so it's important to understand where those differences between the plan and how it actually is done, where those gaps and peaks are. Our people are extremely smart and creative and find ways to be efficient that we could never even think of. But helping them understand the hazards and making sure that they have the right controls during that process of their ingenuity, I think is where safety leaders, and you don't have to have safety in your title, but where leaders come in and make sure that we're keeping those hazards from becoming dangerous to our workforce. And do you have an example of a safety measure that you implemented before and share some of the challenges that you've encountered along the way? One of the biggest things a lot of companies have are life-saving rules. They, in the oil and gas industry, they're typically rules that are aligned with high-risk tasks that we know have resulted in fatality or permanent impairment type consequences. And so that's something that we've done within our company is identify these with rules. And each of our rules have critical controls associated with them. And we're actually just now celebrating our 10-year anniversary of those life-saving rules. But we learned pretty early on that just having the rules was only the first step. The more important aspect of our rules is the verification program that we have in place. And that's actually going out, leaders of all levels, engaging with our workforce and asking them to show those critical controls, how they're in place and make sure they're effective for those high-risk tasks. And I would say that was definitely a learning process for us, that just having the rules was one thing, but the verification program really took it to drive the results we were looking for. And, and can you tell us more about the verification program? Sure. It's a face-to-face -face type engagement where a leader will go and have a conversation with a work crew, either before they start a task or while they're doing a task that is looking specifically for those controls for that life-saving rule. So for example, if you've got someone who is doing a lifting operation, we say that there's a lot of things that we want to get right when we are doing a lifting operation. We want to make sure that our equipment is rated for the load. We want to make sure that our people are competent to do the job. But that critical control, that thing that we can't get wrong, is making sure that there's a barrier so that when that load drops, we can fail safe and nobody gets hurt. So if I'm out doing a life-saving rule verification, I'm going to have those conversations about the load and the equipment and the competency, but I'm absolutely focused on making sure that that barrier and that isolation zone is in place and effective because that's the thing we can't get wrong. 
Love it. That's a great way to put it. And what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned through implementing all this? The biggest lesson is that nobody knows everything and you need to go out every single day with an open mind and ready to learn and hear the challenges, the concerns, the solutions that our workers know would make their work easier and be their advocate and champion to put those things in place. It's like easy for people to get overconfident and think they have the grasp of something until everything goes wrong. And maybe this is a good step to take us towards best practices. You know, with everything that you guys have done till now, what are some of the best practices that you think organizations should adopt to enhance their safety culture? I think certainly a best practice that we have is having a commitment to a learning organization. And that can show up in a lot of different ways. But for us, it's kind of three main areas. One is around our systems and processes and really understanding those. One is around being curious and asking questions versus jumping to judgment. And the third is around learning, just constantly focus on how we can learn and do better. And so what I like about our learning organization and those pillars is that it can relate that to all levels of the organization. I can take that to a senior leader and help them understand what it means for them to be curious and not jump to judgment. I can take it down to a multi-skilled operator out in the field and help them understand why the systems and processes matter and how they can help us make it better. And then globally, we are always trying to share the lessons. And like I mentioned before, connect people so that we're constantly learning. A message we keep hearing around this is it always needs to be led from the top down. It needs to be adopted by the leaders and leaders need to lead by example here. Do you agree? I agree that you need to have leaders who are supportive and understand what you're trying to achieve. But I think that some of the most success we've had are from our grassroots initiatives, from our work crews to our functions within particular BUs who are doing things that work for them versus our highest level leader telling them how they should do something. So yes, leaders need to support it, but it needs to be allowed to come up grassroots. So leaders kind of show the whole organization that safety is very important and that it's a big, important initiative for the wider group and then enable the business units to innovate and improve concepts so that they can be adopted at a bigger scale. Exactly. Well, and have there been any technologies that you've been exposed to or tested or tried or are excited about in that space too? Yeah, so technologies just continue to evolve and change on us every day. We're trying to use drones to help us, as an example, particularly with our emissions. How can we use them to detect where we have places and alert quicker to be able to put operators out to be able to fix those emissions? That's something that I think has a lot of application. If we can get the right type of technology, might be able to use drones as our eyes before we have to send somebody in to understand a particular emergency or situation. So that's definitely a technology that we're exploring and continuing to utilize. That sounds super cool. So it's kind of like image recognition, drones that kind of survey the sites and identify areas where you need to act and pay exactly. attention to. Exactly. Yep. All right. And a question that I usually like to ask, if you could choose one safety superpower, what would that be? I think it'd be the ability to effectively listen and I guess have the time to do more listening, to hear from our workforce what the opportunities really are to make it safer for them. 
So being able to listen and definitely have infinite time for listening. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So it's ultimately being able to understand people much better is kind of the root of that superpower. Yeah, have the ability to engage with them, make them feel comfortable and that I'm trustworthy enough so they can tell me what's really on their mind. Yeah, that's what I wish I had the superpower for. I love that. And then it's a question that I feel is super important for myself and everyone to hear about. And you've gone through so much. 15 years is a very long period of time to be at an organization and a safety function. And throughout this time, have you experienced or heard of an incident that resulted in a serious injury or maybe worse? Of course, without the need to mention any names, but if you can give us any details about it, especially the impact, is there anything you can share there? Yeah, so unfortunately, I have been through quite a few incidents that have resulted in fatality in the military, as I mentioned. What I learned from that incident is that even some of my very seasoned NCOs who'd been in the Army for a long time had never actually experienced fatality before. And so that was definitely eye-opening for me how I responded with empathy to that individual. He was the one who, who happened to, to find the deceased. I, it took me aback. I wasn't expecting that aspect of the situation. And then I think that's carried through in some of the other incidents. It's, it's being there as a very empathetic leader and seeing the needs of your workers who are going through this, whether it was their workmate or, um, you know, we operate in a lot of small communities. And so if you have someone who's seriously injured or worse dies, it affects the entire community. And so making sure that your workforce has the support that they need to be able to grieve and you do not know how it's going to impact them. So you have to be prepared many different ways to support them. Yeah, I can only imagine if a colleague of mine, you said people go to work to work and make money not to get hurt. And I'm there and it's a normal day and a colleague of mine loses their life. I can't imagine going back to work the same way. And I wonder how people come back from that, you know, the community comes back from something like that. And I think for sure, we have to be very deliberate in our support for those situations. That is something I have seen my company do very well. It was what I experienced when I went through the fatality in the military, but you don't often think that that's something you need to prepare for. And it's a sad thing, but everyone that goes through that experience probably becomes way more aware, becomes a bigger champion to safety across the organization to help avoid these future things from happening. And unfortunately, as humans, we only learn when we fall, when bad things happen around us. Yep, that's very true. As much as we try to share lessons learned and to relate those lessons learned to others' operating areas or operating conditions, we're sometimes challenged with that. We recently had a significant event in our company, and I was so proud of how our businesses really dug in to understand the lessons and how they could apply in operations completely different. And then we made a huge deal to connect folks to share what they found in their businesses from the lessons learned. Someone asked, well, how do we do this better? How do we get these lessons learned without having to experience it? And my answer was do exactly what we're doing, mm -hmm. share with each other what we're learning as we review these events, whether they happen to us, whether they happen in our industry or in another industry. Yeah, it's like the drive of doing everything we can so that history doesn't repeat itself. 
taking the positive part of that lesson to just improve the likelihood of everyone else in the future going home a bit safer. And if you zoom out into the future, what is one thing you wish to see become the norm in the world of safety? You know, this is the interesting question. I have three teenage boys, and one of the things that we're trying really hard to do is to expose them to things that can go wrong. So when in every situation, talk about what could have happened, the hazard. I don't think that we always do that. And a lot of us, as technology improves, there's less and less incidents that result in consequences. So particularly for our younger generation, they may never have experienced something. They don't even know that the hazard exists. So I think as we continue in the future, really finding the way to clearly identify hazards and communicate them and then take it to the next step, make sure that we have the right controls to prevent them is what honestly we're trying to do now, but it's going to be even more important in the future. And how do you stay up to date, Becky, with all the different things that are happening in the safety world? That's a challenge in itself. I think connecting with industry peers, that's definitely an area where you're able to talk with folks who are trying to solve the same challenges that you're trying to solve and hear their ideas is a way. The other way is partnering with our operational leaders. The things that we're trying to do are changing the hazards that we're around, the chemicals that we use. And so staying up to date with how we do our work so that we can be ahead and understand the hazards and the controls that are needed. Yeah, it seems like networks is a theme that we always hear as well. It goes back to the point we said earlier, of people learn when they fail and the cost of failure is so high in the safety world that if people are able to share from their experience, you're kind of just building very robust knowledge base from everyone's actual incident experience. I wonder if there are solid networks that you are aware of that people can contribute to or participate in, or if it's just you getting closer to people and doing the work to meet more safety practitioners. There are quite a few for our industry, both international and American-based associations. I've had the opportunity to actually help start a couple. We have an onshore safety alliance in the U.S. where we're focused on what are the resources and experiences and support that our industry from an onshore standpoint needs. There's lots of different networks available. It's really just the challenge of finding the time to be able to participate in those. And I know everyone who does, they value what they get out of it. Yeah, it seems like people within that industry are just generally supportive and operate on the basis of helping each other out, not kind of isolating information. Something we keep hearing is like safety is not IP. You know, it's people's lives and well-being. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Is there any closing thought that you would like people to walk away with? Yeah, I think for sure, helping folks understand that our workers don't come to work intending to get hurt. So it's everyone's job to look out for each other. And then everyone has a role in it, no matter what it is you're doing within your organization. And so looking for those opportunities to be able to help make sure that people go home either the same way they came or better if they're able to bring safety home. Love that. Thank you so much, Becky. This has been great. Before we wrap up, where can people listening learn more about you and your journeys? Is LinkedIn the best bet that we can share with this episode? Yeah, probably so. Awesome. Again, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the chat. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Safety Heroes podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to click follow. Until next time, stay safe.